The Bible says, be not deceived. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. All right, it's 4 p.m. on Wall Street. Do you know where your money is? Welcome to Financial Issues, where we align reality with truth. Conservative talk radio you can count on. Financial issues that you need to know. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. We will simply apply to government the common sense that we all use in our daily lives. Analyzing markets and financial news, this is Financial Issues Week in Review. Well, good morning. Welcome to Financial Issues. We are here live today. If you're watching us during the week at 8 o'clock Central and 9 o'clock Eastern Time, if you're catching us at a later time or on the weekend, perhaps on an AFR station, just know that we are not live, but you can get us live by going and getting our phone app in the Apple or Android store. Just search for Financial Issues or F-I-S-M and get our phone app. That way you can have us live whenever you want, or you can have us live when we're on and and have us um, a replay whenever you want, whether it's audio or video. We've got both. You can also watch us live on Rumble, YouTube, and Facebook, and we're an interactive program, so you can call in or get your questions or comments posted up there. So I just want to encourage you to do that. Uh, Speaking of financial issues, we've got some economic news out this week. So the PPI numbers came out, and that will likely mean more fuel for the fire for the Fed's predicted rate increases. Producer prices for final demand in the U.S. increased 0.7% month over month in January of 2023. That's the most in seven months and higher than what the market was predicting, almost double what the market was predicting at a 0.4% increase. Goods prices jumped 1.2%, also the largest increase since rising 2.1% in June of 2022. Well, what moved it? A 6.2% surge in gasoline cost. Don't worry, though. Joe Biden is going to drain more of the SPR to get that back under control. (laughs) Uh, What kept it in check a little bit? Well, prices for fresh and dry vegetables decreased 33%. In spite of the bump in the monthly number, the year-over-year number is still falling from 6.5 last month to 6.6% even in January. And we should see that number continue to fall significantly in April when the February uh, 2022 increase of 1.1% and the March 2022 increase of 1.7% falls off and is hopefully replaced by a lower number. The core number is what the Fed looks at more closely, and that number was a little bit more troublesome. Core producer inflation in the U.S. uh, decreased to 5.4% in January of 2023 from 5.5% the previous month, but it came in higher than the 4.9% that the markets were expecting. The month-over-month PPI number was even more troublesome. It increased a half a percent month-over-month when it was predicted to only increase by three-tenths of a percent. Um, It's higher than the 0.3% in December and higher than the six months prior December. So what about the one most important thing the government can do to curb inflation? That is cut spending. Not happening. (laughs) Looks like President Biden is hitting the campaign trail a little bit early and not from his basement this time. In a series of speeches to union workers, Biden continues to promote, promote the notion that he can build America back better from the bottom up and the middle out. His focus is not on reducing expenses, but on increasing revenue. That means taxes. Great idea if you're running a private company to increase revenue, that is not increase taxes. Not such a great idea if you love your freedoms and want smaller government. Biden argued that his budget won't increase taxes on Americans making less than $400,000 a year and will ultimately cut the deficit by $2 trillion over the next decade. The president, though, is yet to release his budget, and he's promised to do so by March 9th. We'll see. 
But the nonpartisan CBO begs to differ. Instead of deficits decreasing by $2 trillion, which would come closer to a balanced budget, assuming spending didn't increase, they expect it to rise by $20 trillion over the next 10 years. The CBO has revised their projection from last May for the size of the annual federal budget deficit over the next decade. The agency now believes that the deficit, not the debt, the difference between how much is coming in and going out will total $18.8 trillion over the next 10 years. That figure is 20% higher than their estimate back in May and a $20.8 trillion difference than what Biden claims, which is to reduce it by $2 trillion. So tell me, how does the deficit grow when your plans are to make the wealthy pay their fair share? Well, there's only one answer. You increase your spending. I want you to take a look at this clip about spending. The problem is, is that the way Bush has done it over the last eight years is to take out a credit card from the Bank of China in the name of our children, driving up our national debt from $5 trillion for the first 42 presidents. Number 43 added $4 trillion by his lonesome so that we now have over $9 trillion of debt that, that we are going to have to pay back. $30,000 for every man, woman, and child. That's irresponsible. It's unpatriotic. Irresponsible and unpatriotic. So I'm sure Obama did a much better job, right? No, he didn't. He increased the debt by almost $10 trillion. So if it's irresponsible and unpatriotic to increase the debt by $4 trillion, what's the word for increasing it $10 trillion? President Obama. President Biden is giving Obama a run for his money, literally. Since he took office in January of 2021, our national debt has gone from right under $28 trillion to almost $31.5 trillion. That's a $3.76 trillion increase in just two years. That's 40% of what Obama added in eight years and almost what he calls irresponsible, and unpatriotic over an eight-year term. Well, I guess the standards change, right? Things change, and it's all about perspective. But you have to really consider what perspective is driving this country right now. Our leaders are taking this country to hell in a handbasket, and they're doing it on our dime. The government believes that they know better how to spend our money. They want to increase taxes, which, by the way, making the the wealthy pay their fair share. Did you know that the top 1% of income earners in the United States pay 42% of the taxes? So how much more is fair? How much more is fair for the top 1%? to pay. Well, it's a terrible idea, and it's not going to do what President Biden says it's going to do. It's going to not make America better. It's not going to build America back better. It's going to build America's debt to levels that are unsustainable. Well, folks, I hope that you're paying close attention because the election couldn't get here soon enough. Thank goodness that the Republicans took the House back in uh, the, the last election. So hopefully that will put a curb on some of the things that this administration is trying to cram down our throats in the next two years. Well, we've got a special treat for you next segment. Craig Halgert is going to be here live with us to talk about all of the things that are happening in the ag and the commodity markets some very interesting stuff come up so don't go anywhere we're going to take a short break but we'll be back with more financial issues
Did you know that an average 1.2 million babies are aborted each year? Listen, we have an opportunity at Financial Issues to change that, and we're doing it. Tens of thousands of lives have been saved because of Financial Issues listeners just like you. For $140, you could save the lives of five babies. All $140 goes to the Pregnancy Center to sponsor ultrasounds. 80% of the time, these ultrasounds will change the mind of a young lady that is considering abortion to choose life. Would you join us in the fight against the atrocity of abortion? I hope that you'll go to preborn.org or call pound 250. The keyword is baby when you're asked. Preborn.org. That's preborn.org. All throughout the red light district in India, women are trapped in a cycle of survival through prostitution. But they're not alone. Their children are there, hiding in back alleys, under a bed, or asleep in a room not far from the drugs and brothels outside. Five million of these children are trapped in the red light districts of India, at a high risk of being abused or used in the trade themselves. But India Partners has made a way for you to rescue these children and relocate them to a safe, clean home in a safe neighborhood where not only their physical needs will be provided for, but they'll be introduced to the love of Jesus. And hopefully, with these resources, both the child and their mother can escape the sex trade and start a new life outside the red light district. Just $62 will provide a week of safety for one of these children, and $275 will provide for a whole month. Visit IndiaPartners.org to see how your your gift can reach into the red light district and provide days of safety for one of these five million children. FISM News is a conservative news source with a biblical worldview. With us, you get just the news grounded in truth. And now with the new FISM TV app, it's even easier to take FISM News with you wherever you go so you're never behind on what's happening. Not only are FISM News articles updated regularly throughout the day, but you can now easily access and read them right from your smartphone. And with just a few taps, you can share stories with friends through messages, email, or social media. Also, you can conveniently watch or listen to The Daily Show on demand and even go back to see recent broadcasts. Coming soon, you'll be able to download the podcast version of the news for offline use. So go ahead and visit your app store, download the new FISM TV app, and start exploring this engaging, educational, Christ-centered content today. Now, back to Financial Issues Week in Review. Welcome back to Financial Issues. If you've got questions about the markets, the economy, stewardship, or even the ag and the commodity markets, you might get a chance to ask Craig Halgert today, who's here with us live. We usually hear from Craig in the last part of this segment, but he has graced us with his presence here, and we're so excited to hear what he has to say. Welcome, Craig. Oh, thank you very much. Always a, always a thrill to be on live with you guys. <laughs> we enjoy it so much, too. Well, Craig, at various times throughout the year, we've explored, we've explored how the ag market has been uh, upended by the war in Ukraine. What can you tell us about any ag updates from the war in Ukraine as it approaches the one-year mark of the Russian invasion? Well, I think there's a couple things to keep an eye on. Uh, number one is that, uh, as you know, that Turkey worked out a, a Black Sea export agreement between Russia and Ukraine. And uh, that expires in mid-March, so we're you know, maybe a month away from expiring. And uh, Russia is really kind of white, white, backing away from that. It appears as if um, they probably do not want to renew that program. And since they control the ports right now, they're all already slow-walking uh, ship inspections. And so we're seeing... Um, Exports drop off out of Ukraine already simply because of the action that Russians are taking to kind of delay ship inspections. Um, For example, in in March, or excuse me, in in January, um, Ukrainians uh, shipped about five and a half million tons of ag products out of that nation. That was 1.3 million tons less than what they shipped in in December. So I think that we're seeing a, a slowdown of exports already. 
and I would not be surprised to see Russia slam the door on that. I think the other part of that equation is as we get into spring, uh, it appears as if there's going to be uh, probably another upswing in, in war activity. Uh, we're hearing, obviously, that Russia's got about another 500,000 troops ready to move into that U- Ukrainian war theater. And so I expect the war to, to kind of maybe go to a new level, probably a level that we haven't seen yet. And uh, that's going to obviously have an impact on being able to, to plant uh, crops in Ukraine and, and have a lot of other uh, consequences as well. It'll be interesting to see how uh, other nations respond to that and what that does in terms of um, energy that flows out of Russia. So I think there's a lot of moving pieces that are yet to be explored. But I think the two things we do know is that exports are, are slow and getting slower, and there's probably going to be a big disruption this spring that's going to result in less acres getting planted in Ukraine. And, and obviously that could have some bigger consequences down the line in, in terms of uh, famine in sub-Saharan Africa and that type of thing. Hmm. Yeah, it's kind of hard to uh, be focused on planting your crops when you're fighting off an invasion. <laughs> yeah, that tends to it tends to slow things down when you're getting shot at on the tractor. So that's, that's for darn sure. Yeah. Hey, I, Shanna and Craig, can I hop in for just a moment sure. here? We just got a question, actually, from uh, Julie in Arkansas. Craig, this was for you. Shanna, I don't know if you wanted to take this question here, but Julie's wondering, Craig, if you could just answer the rumor about animals being tagged digitally so they can be monitored by drones or government bureaucrats on their emissions. Is that <laughs> even true, or is this just a rumor? Um, I, well, I can't speak to the admis- uh, emissions piece of it. The RFID tags are being used in animals, um, but what the government's going to do to monitor what they are doing to monitor that, I, I, I can't speak to with any authority, Seth. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me with the technology we have, but certainly the RFID technology and, and the chips in the ears, so that, that type of tagging is, is, is out there and, and being utilized. Um, well, it's utilizing and how they're utilizing, I, I'm not totally sure on, but of the technology is certainly there for that. Great to know. I appreciate you both letting me hop in. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Well, Craig, what about the railway strike that we narrowly avoided last year? How is that turning out, and is there any more developments there? Yeah, thanks our old buddy Joe coming through for us there. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it, it seems as if we're getting some resolution. A big sticking point uh, was on uh, sick leave agreements. And uh, I know the CSX has been very aggressive in this. They've now got uh, sick leave agreements uh, signed with six of the 12 unions that they deal with. Seems like there's a lot of momentum moving there uh, that uh, are going to get the other six to probably get in in line as well. Um, And so it's been an interesting process. I there's there's probably been more give on behalf of the CSX than they they wanted to, but. things seem like they're falling in line and it, it seems like the, the threat of a rail strike is, is certainly a lot less than it was a few months ago. But we're not totally out of the woods. Not totally out of the woods, but we've got half of the unions on, on board and, and two of those just came in this week. Uh, so I, I, the momentum's clearly on the side of the railroad right now in, in reaching agreements with the, the remaining unions. I would expect that to happen in the next couple months. All right. Well, Last month, when you came on with Seth, you updated us on South American crops and the impact on the U.S. What are the updates that we need to be aware of in regards to the agricultural situation in South America? Well, South America is really interesting. We're in the middle of uh, soybean harvest in Brazil right now, uh, and it's running a little bit slower than normal. I think about 20% of that crop is is currently harvested, and they are going to have a record uh, crop of soybeans in, in Brazil. Uh, Argentina, on the other hand, uh, was having a kind of a disaster when we spoke last, and that's that's only gotten worse. So we continue to see the size of that crop diminish. Now, the interesting thing about Argentina is that they have more, they crush more soybeans there than, <clears throat> excuse me, than probably any other. Well, they, they export more soybean meal, I guess, to be the right way to say that, than any other nation in in the world. And, and frankly, right now, they don't have enough soybeans to meet that that demand. Uh, we've already seen them buy some soybeans from Brazil to import into Argentina to run through their crush facilities. And so I think that uh, we'll probably see that continue. 
And um, if, if we remove some beans from Brazil and pull them over into Argentina, the question is whether or not that opens up um, an opportunity maybe for some U.S. beans to move. We have seen a little bit of movement um, lately. In fact, this week I was able to sell a couple of trains that are going to export. Uh, but I, that's mainly, I think, a result of the slow harvest in Brazil. Uh, longer term with a record crop, I, I still think that we're going to struggle from an export perspective here. Brazil right now is about a dollar twenty a bushel uh, under what we're offering when you look at freight to, to China and that type of thing. So that's going to be uh, kind of a mixed bag in South America from the from bean perspective. Now on corn, the real question now is what that second crop corn is going to look like in Brazil, and, and that also is getting planted late. Uh, the last number I saw was about twenty five percent of that crop was planted a year ago at this time. About forty five percent was in the ground. And the later that crop gets planted, the more potential there is that you'll run into to weather problems, mainly drought problems, during a critical time of in the life of that crop. So we could see a diminished corn crop in, in Brazil this year when you look at second corn crop. Um, but right now what the trade is focusing on, of course, is is the soybean crop that, that's, that they're harvesting right now, and, and that is going to be a record. Hmm. So speaking of China and exports, Tell us what's happening there and maybe take us back to a little bit of where we left off with the Trump policies regarding ag exports to China and where we are now. You know, we had set uh, some goals in there and where they're at right now is is meeting um, the commitments that they had made under that uh, for the first time. I think it was a tier one, if I remember right, uh, Shanna. Uh, that is going to be met. Now, moving beyond that, uh, with what's happening in South America, I, I, I don't think they're going to continue to meet the, the numbers that have been set for them. Uh, but what, with what's going on with renewable diesel, frankly, um, I don't think we could meet the, the, the demand and meet the demand for renewable diesel. So, um, so far, I guess as, as you look at it today, you would have to say that China is is honoring their commitments. I don't expect that to continue. Uh, but then I also think renewable diesel is going to be such a uh, situation in this country that we're going to be pretty much taken out of the export markets anyway. So, hmm. Interesting. Uh, fuel or food, right? <laughs> yeah, it really comes down to that. And, and with some of the mandates we're seeing in places like California for renewable diesel and the plants that are getting built, we need about 10 million more acres of soybeans just to meet the demands for the, the plants that are currently under construction. Uh, renewable diesel is going to be kind of, for soybeans, what ethanol was for corn, you know, a, a few years back. It's, it's a kind of a game changer. And, and whether it's good policy or not, I guess I'll, I'll leave the other experts, but it, it certainly is a, is a disruptive uh, influence. Um, and, and that means that we either need to get more acres from someplace else, which is pretty unlikely we need to steal acres from from corn um and uh, so i think you're going to see a real tug of war between corn and soybeans to to capture acres Hmm. and what about that situation the drought situation with the mississippi river you know we were really concerned about the low levels um uh, during last year what should we be aware of there last fall when we spoke uh, we had uh, barges backed up and we just had a real mess. The area of the Mississippi River that, that experienced the most drought falls into the St. Louis district of the uh, Corps of Engineers. And in a normal year, they have one uh, dredge that's running uh, there throughout the summer. They normally dredge out about 3 million cubic yards of, of material a year to, to keep the river open. Well, this year they had to bring in three dredges, dredges and uh, they dredged about 9 million cubic yards out of the river as of... Uh, the end of uh, January. So it's, it's been a huge effort. Right now, uh, it's flowing pretty well. And we're coming to the time of year where we get into snow melt out of the Missouri River and that type of thing. We expect the, um, the water levels to rise. So as we go into the spring, it looks like uh, that, that problem is behind us, at least for the time being. Oh, that's good news. Because we were a little bit worried about getting some of the fertilizer and some of the other materials up the river. Um, what's the right. status regarding uh, the fertilizer situation? 
Well, fertilizers come up. The, the big issue that uh, any of our listeners that, that need to purchase fertilizer need to be aware of, fertilizer prices are dropping, and they're dropping quite sharply. Uh, I think that uh, I know in our case, for example, you can't expect businesses to fill up their, their inventory with product that they know is collapsing in price. Uh, and so if there's a shortage this year, it's going to be because people delay buying it and uh, – and, and people on the other end, the retailers aren't aren't putting in huge supplies. We're basically buying and covering uh, fertilizer for the cause for the people that have have pre-purchased it. You know, so my I guess my my caution would be if you're going to use fertilizer this year and don't have it bought, you may want to start uh, getting that bought in, or, or you may end up in a situation where you can't get a, get a hold of it. Great advice. Well, Craig, we could talk to you all day about these interesting things, but we're out of time. (laughs) We're going to take a short break, folks, and then we'll be back with more financial issues. I pray that in these trying times that I can lead him in a way that I know will leave a godly imprint on his heart forever. And And to show her how to live a life that is pure. I want her to understand how precious life is and to to take care of his body. To eat right and exercise and understand that his body is a temple temple of of God. God. I pray that our family will love Jesus, read his word daily, and obey his teaching. The values that we share should guide us in the way that we invest. Make sure that you are investing in companies whose policies and practices align with pro-life, pro-family values. Visit thetimothyplan.com or call for more information. Advance the kingdom in the way that you invest. If you like what you're hearing right now, you're going to love going to the website FISM.TV. Keep listening to this show right here and right now, but later when you're done, go visit our website. It's FISM.TV to learn more about this show and plenty more. Securities offered through GA Repl and Company, a registered broker, dealer, and investment advisor, member FINRA and SIPC. Opinions expressed by Shanna are hers alone and are for informational purposes only, and do not necessarily represent those of GA Repl or the outlet on which you are listening. You should consider how the information applies to your situation prior to personally implementing it, and consult any financial professional you work with to make sure it's applicable to your financial plan. Welcome back to Financial Issues. I'm your host, Shannon Burt. I want to remind you about the preborn campaign that we have going on right now. We are, what was that number, Seth? Where are we? We're, our goal is for 70,000, and we're at. Yep. As of Tuesday, Shannon, we're sitting right around 14,000 or so. So we're making some progress, but we still okay. got a long way to go. Great. Well, we've got a little bit less than half of the month left, and there is an opportunity to maximize your stewardship. We're asking you to consider a $120 donation to Preborn Ministries as they continue to fight the good fight and push back against the darkness of abortion in this world. And if you give from our website, go to financialissues.org, click on that preborn banner. It'll take you right to the spot so that your donation will be matched. If you can't do $120, any donation toward the goal is still matched and is greatly appreciated. So speaking of stewardship and um, I guess piggybacking off of the little mini rant that I went on about spending in the beginning of the show, I want to pick up there again. (laughs) Tax and spend won't work. You know, socialism, which is what this administration is trying to push onto us with the far far left's agenda works great until you run out of other people's money. Out of control spending, misleadingly called COVID relief, and labeled by the Biden administration as the Inflation Reduction Act, as if Congress can legislate inflation away by doing more of what caused it in the first place which is spending. So there's still a shameful waste of COVID money that's still being injected into the economy. There's $100 billion of quote-unquote COVID relief that wasn't spent on COVID 
relief. And now that Joe Biden has said that the pandemic is over, should we really deploy that money into a cash flush economy? I don't think so. Low-income families are receiving up to $1,000 a month and labeled as universal basic income. And some of this came from that COVID relief. Dozens of cities and counties under the universal basic income program that they're spreading across the country are being funded, like I said, by the 2021 American Rescue Plan. Chicago is one of those cities, and they are in the midst of an effort to give 5,000 residents $500 a month from a $31.5 million pot of money called the Resilient Communities Pilot Program. (laughs) Neighboring counties are offering another $500 a month to 3,200 residents. So I want to know, what are these Americans being rescued from anyway? Pursuing work and fulfilling their God-given purposes? It's just another Antichrist teaching, teaching that goes against the teaching of Christ. Scripture says that if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. But the government says, don't mind that old outdated way of thinking. Just because you're alive and meet other criteria, which we'll see in just a second, We will be your God. We will feed you. We will take care of you as long as you vote for us and keep us in power and help us to perpetuate our ideology, which is much different than what's in that old dusty book. So let's target this relief a little bit more. This relief isn't just for anyone who forgoes responsibility to do their fair share. You now have to be transgender or non-binary to get the money. Transgender transgender residents in Palm Springs, California, are eligible to receive universal basic income of up to $900 per month solely for identifying as transgender or non-binary. No other requirements, no other strings attached. The new pilot program will have $200,000 set aside for allocation after a unanimous vote by the Palm Springs County Council last week. Former San Diego City Councilman, uh, who happens to be a Republican and who also served as the first openly gay member of the city council, he even criticized this program, calling it outrageous and discriminatory. He said, we're completely opposed to guaranteed or universal basic income programs because they ultimately, hey, cause inflation and raise the cost of living on everyone. They just don't work. So uh, shining the light on more nonsense that's happening in this country right under our noses. Well, let's get to some calls. We've got Tom. Uh, Tom's calling from Virginia. Hi, Tom. Shanna, let's hang on just one second with oh. Tom. He's actually still in there. I loved your rant, by the way, though. I thought that was <laughs> delightful. If it's like if, if I had known it was that easy to make money, like you can identify as a fish and now you can make money, you can identify as a piece of bread. It's, it's mm. remarkable, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, it really is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah amazing. So, yeah. Um, you know, the left is always hollering about discrimination But they only dislike the discrimination that's against certain groups. If we're now giving money to people just simply based on their gender identity or or what they identify as, uh, that's a bit discriminatory. Shouldn't shouldn't it be shouldn't charity programs or shouldn't relief programs be targeted to people who need some relief? Amen. Well, while we're waiting on that call, what do we have there on social? Tom is actually ready. We can go to him whenever. Tom's ready. All right. Yeah. Why don't we go to Tom now? Good good call. Okay. Hey, Tom, you're on Financial Issues. Good morning. How are you today? Good. Thank you for taking my call. I'm uh, about to be 59 years old. I've been a member for a little over a year. Just had my one-year anniversary. 
Um, I'm using the 55 to 65 investment model. And my question, well, for the past year, I've been dabbling a little bit and putting some extra money in and that kind of stuff, but I'm really ready to change the way I do my 401k because I've been putting extra into the 401k above the company match, and I really just want to be more convicted and be biblically responsible and start taking any extra money I'm putting into my 401k and start putting it into the model. So a little additional background. I've been putting money into the Roth for a Roth version of the 401k since my company has had that, and I think about 34% of my contribution in total is now in a Roth, and the rest is in a non-Roth 401k. So I have a non-qualified just basic investment account with Fidelity today that I have some small money in, but I want to start every two weeks of a paycheck taking the extra money and putting it somewhere, that I, following the model so I can be biblically responsible. So my first question is, should that be in a qualified or non-qualified account? And two, is it okay to, you know, buy individual stocks every other week? I think I've heard in the past you kind of almost are against kind of averaging into stocks like that so frequently, but... I'd just mm-hmm. like some direction on that. Sure. So I think it should be a non-qualified account because the 401k, both the pre-tax and the after-tax or the traditional and the Roth versions are both considered qualified money because qualified money is uh, accounts that qualify for special tax treatment because the government said so. So I like the Roth option better than the the traditional option. So I'm really glad to see that you're doing that and uh, building up your your percentages there. I'd like to see you increase your diversification between types of accounts by adding a non-qualified, which would just be an, an investment account. So you don't get a tax deduction for putting money in there, but that's okay because I think taxes are going to be higher in the future than what they are today. I don't know what your what your personal um, tax bracket is, but you know if you're if you're in the twelve or twenty two or maybe even the twenty four percent bracket, I would suspect that taxes are going to be higher or at least the same down the road when you go to start taking money out. And that's that's where you can really get behind because the idea of saving in a pre-tax account is that you believe that taxes are going to be lower in the future when you take the money out than when you put it in because tax deferral is not tax avoidance. <laughs> it's tax postponement to some future time when you don't know what that is. So um, I would probably focus if you don't have the ETF positions or the mutual fund positions, those are better to dollar cost average into. You may or may not be able to dollar cost average into the, the stock positions, maybe even the ETF positions based on the amount of money that you're putting in. I would just check with the platform that you're using because they may or may not let you um, buy fractional shares. So, for example, if you're wanting to buy a share of stock that's $100, but you're only putting in $50, you have to make sure that the platform will let you purchase a fractional share. But All right. If, if, it, if it would, or, I mean, I'm just trying to follow the model and get my percentages correct. Mm-hmm. Yep. I would start with those larger percentages, which some of those are the mutual funds. So um, if that doesn't work for you, then you can do the individual stocks as long as they'll let you. Well, we're coming up on a break, and then we're going to be back with more financial issues. So don't go anywhere. People are talking a lot about healthcare these days. There are so many changes, so many questions. As Christians, where can we turn for answers? At Samaritan Ministries, we believe the answer is in Jesus Christ, working in the lives of his people, demonstrating Christian community by sharing each other's medical needs, scripturally, faithfully. Here's just part of Brett's story in his own words. When I reflect on Samaritan Ministries, the biggest thing that stands out to me is that we, as a body of believers, are living out New Testament Christianity. This idea that Samaritan has adopted from the book of Acts should permeate all parts of our lives, not just health sharing. It has a profound impact on people like me and my wife. Brett is just one of more than 150,000 members who are sharing over $13 million in medical needs each month. 
If you'd like to experience what it's like to partner with other Christians for your health care needs and you'd like to see what other members are saying, visit MySamaritanStory.org. Have you ever thought about banking with a credit union instead of a traditional bank? Not really, but I think my parents have a credit union account. Do you know the difference between a bank and a credit union? Mm, no. Banks are owned by stockholders, so they do their best to make profits for them. But credit unions are owned by their members, and the members see their profits through lower rates and higher interest on savings accounts. And at Christian Community Credit Union, our mission is to help members and ministries become better stewards and achieve their financial goals. Our mobile and tablet apps provide easy, safe, and convenient banking. It's like banking at your fingertips 24-7. When you bank with us, you're banking with someone who shares your faith and values. To get started today, visit us online at mycccu.com. Christian Community Credit Union. Your money, building God's kingdom. American Family Association President Tim Wildman. Why does AFA exist? Well, we're here to inform, equip, and activate individuals and families to transform the culture. We want to make an impact on our country for Christ. That's the reason my dad, Don Wildman, started this ministry 40-plus years ago. Dad was concerned about the direction America was headed, and he was determined to do something about it. Maybe that describes you today. If it does, I want to strongly encourage you to consider a charitable gift annuity to American Family Association Foundation. This will benefit you, and it will ensure that we stay in the fight for a long, long time to come. That's the AFA Foundation. Call the AFA Foundation at 800-326-4543, extension 345. That's 800-326-4543, extension 345. I would like to thank you very much for giving me the impetus to consolidate my portfolio into one advisor. At Financial Issues Stewardship Ministries, our goal is to help Christians make financial decisions that honor God. Everything fell into place. I felt so much peace and the consistent ethic. There is a certain contentment that everything will be fine. Go to financialissues.org and become a partner today. The opinions and recommendations expressed on this program do not necessarily represent the opinions of the station or any of the program sponsors. Additionally, all products or services offered by the program sponsors may not be known by the program. Welcome back to Financial Issues. We've got a couple of calls in the queue, so we're going to get right to those calls. Uh, We've got Gino calling from Arkansas. Hi, Gino. Oh, Shanna. How are you today? Good. All right. Uh, I've been a member for about two years, and I just want to say that uh, in 2022, uh, uh, my portfolio went up about 3%, so I'm very pleased with that, according to what most of them have done. But uh, I do have a question concerning a good place to research, find out a certain firm's profitability. Uh, is there? Is there? You can go to the company itself, but I, I'd rather... there's other ways. I don't know. Can you help me there? Yeah, sure. There's a lot of sources that you can use. Um, I would say look at the platform that your discount brokerage offers. You can usually get stock research there. So you can click on, and um, even from our website, if you click on the individual stock, um, a little chart will come up. It's going to show you some some basic information about the company. It'll show you earnings per share. So you can tell if a company's profitable or not profitable by just looking to see if their earnings are positive or negative. Um, and then you can dig a little bit deeper. There's, there's lots of sites out there because publicly traded companies have to report their earnings every quarter. So if you, you know, uh, if you're a shareholder and really, I guess, even if you're not, you can, you can go in. If you're, if you're thinking about a specific company, you can go to their website, look at the shareholder services tab or, or whatever they call it. And they have a quarterly conference call given by management that gives you the state of 
the company. It tells you, you know, all of the things uh, they talk about, the things that they release in their earnings report. So if you're really curious about a specific company, you can even dial in and and listen to management talk about those things. And then there's just a, a lot of, um, you know, even like Yahoo Finance or, uh, you know, there's so many of them out there. If you just uh, search, you can find all the information that you want. Now, information is, uh, data is information. <laughs> you have to know how to process that information and what it means to make it really meaningful. Right. I'm, I'm sure that's true. <clears throat> and then if you find out that a particular company is, is making good products or good profits, uh, does that have anything to do with the future profitability of that company or uh yeah, it does. I mean, lots of things have have to do with the future profitability of a company. I mean, uh, the thing that the challenge that most companies have faced here recently has been the cost of inflation, because especially if they make a good or a service that where they've seen their um, their components increase, um, the the state of the economy is going to be an, an influencer on the profitability of a company, uh, the industry, the legislation. Um, there's there's lots of things that go into that. The management, you want to look at how long the management has actually been there. So if they have a, a really great track record, but they've changed management recently, you know, that could cause you to doubt um, the continued success of the company. You know, you have to make an evaluation about whether it's a good leadership change or not. Okay, well, that, uh, that covers a lot of things. I, I've used Morningstar, <laughs> but they don't really tell you about future profits or anything. So, but uh, is that a, is that a company that you can depend on very much or not? Um, it's okay. I mean, Morningstar, you know, kind of started out doing, giving a lot of information on mutual funds. They have a, a different kind of ranking system and uh, you really just have to, you know, the first thing that you have to do is research their basic philosophies because they're going to evaluate or give you um an opinion based on a core set of beliefs that they have uh, about, you know, what makes a fund good or a company good. And that's the, the output that you're going to see. So uh, you really have to get a good understanding of what they're looking at before you can decide, well, you know, I value or I don't value their opinion because my, my basic set of beliefs is the same or different. Okay. Thank you very much, Shanna. You've been very helpful. Hopefully I can uh, go into this and comprehend it myself. Thank you so much. (laughs) Sounds good. We've got another call in the queue. Let's get to Laura. Laura's calling from Alabama. Hi, Laura. Good morning. Thanks for all you do to uh, continue the good work that Dan started. My question is regarding the only preferred on the list, FP31. Um, Would the common stock, in that company be considered biblically responsible if I wanted to purchase that rather than the preferred? Um, It would. It would be biblically responsible because the the issuer determines the the biblically responsible nature of it. Now, um, we haven't put out a recommendation on purchasing the common stock, only on the the preferred stock. So you would kind of be on your own there. Okay. Any reason why y'all haven't uh, recommended the common stock? Well, yeah, I mean, there's there's lots of reasons. We do research from a macro level and from a micro level, but, um, you know, we, we don't share a lot of the details of our strategy over the air. All right. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks, Laura. Bye-bye. All right. I think we've got some things to get to. I know our Website questions are getting a little bit backlogged. <laughs> sure are. It's a good problem to have, Shanna. People are asking. But yes, they are getting backlogs. Let's get to these. Rick saying, when the government gives a number like the dollars left over from COVID, how do they account for dollars that got uh, shoved into the shadow cash-only economy that doesn't get tracked? He's 68 years old. What do you think, Shanna? Well, I mean, they can't really, I mean, they can account for it because they know what goes out, whether it was, um, whether it's moving in cash or not. I'm, I'm a little bit perplexed by the question, but, you know, they just, they really don't. I mean, if you, if you look at the numbers that are accounting for what's left unspent, 
You know, there's over $100 billion of unused COVID money that's still sitting in the system for places like California to come up with these ridiculous universal basic income programs in Chicago and, and, and the likes of it. So I think if, if the money was allocated or allotted for a certain purpose and it didn't get spent for that purpose, then it needs to be taken back. It shouldn't be allowed just to prop up you know, state or county budgets or let them just do whatever they want to do with it. Um, so not to mention the fraud and the, and the waste that went on with all of the COVID relief. I don't even know if they'll be able to get accurate numbers on that. Shannon, you just took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to ask you, this has got to be fraudulent, right? I mean, it's ridiculous what's happening here that it has to be fraudulent that this money is not being used or it's being uh, reallocated or reappropriated to other things that have nothing to do with COVID. It's insane. Yeah, it, it's definitely not right. And it should go back to the to the federal government if it wasn't needed for the purposes allocated for the 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 county and state and local governments should not be able to spend it for different reasons <laughs> and you know they really need to crack down on the fraud i mean I, their whole idea was to get everything out fast and at the um at the chagrin of effectiveness and there was a lot of fraud that went on a lot of um you know, foreign countries and a lot of um, non-legitimate, quote-unquote, businesses that were able to to skim money out of the COVID relief, and um, that should really try to be recovered. Yes, amen. Well said. Cynthia Shanna is 61. She's asking, I'm retired in two years, moving my 401k to my personal IRA. I will continue to contribute in order to get the match, which will go into a target date fund. I'm currently using the 55 to 65 model, but will become an income investor. This 401k money is is, uh, approximately 35% of my total portfolio. So how do I go about investing this all at once over a period of time? Should I add to my current holdings or not? What do you think? So the money that's moving out into the IRA uh, appears to be a good little chunk of your portfolio. So if 35% is staying in the 401k, I guess 65% is is coming out. What I would do is um, spread out the investment of that money over the next three to six months. That's going to help you buffer any volatility that's coming. So um, if the market is lower six months uh, down the road than it is now, then you'll benefit from lower prices in the future. If it's higher, then you'll still benefit from lower prices, but the lower prices would be on the front end of it. So that helps to, to buffer a little bit of the volatility in the first year. Um, with 35% still staying in the 401k, you might have some biblically responsible options. So you can look in your 401k and see if you have a sort of a, a fixed income fund or an, a government um, securities, a government treasury fund, and you could fill out those parts of the allocation with that part of the money and and um, focus on getting your the other part, the biblically responsible part, filled out on the outside. All right. Uh, we're coming up on the end of the program. Do we have anything we can get to quickly? On Real the- quickly here on the yeah, social side, uh, the Bryans are saying hello as usual. Brian from uh, Missouri is giving us an update about St. Louis in regards to your comments earlier, Shannon. It's crazy. The St. Louis uh, mayor created a guaranteed income of around $500 a month for 3,000 inner city folks. Meanwhile, the city is just totally rampant with crime and auto thefts and all that stuff. So it's what you'd expect from a Democrat-run city, mm. I suppose, right? Yep. Yep. Well, folks, I know we're coming up on the end of the program, and we're here every day to remind you that God owns everything. Time's getting short. The master's coming back, and there's going to be an accounting for what we did with the time, talent, and treasure that we were trusted with. We hope that you will be a good steward. Check out the preborn preborn campaign on our website, financialissues.org, and come back next week for more financial issues. We're one nation under God then we will be a nation gone under. Thank you for joining us. This has been an FISM production.